Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, Invisible Friend, April here, and the date today is December 25th, 2023. Welcome to Episode 214 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast, and a very Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. This week, the Cancer full moon reveals some karma. Venus trines Neptune and sextiles Pluto. The sun trines Jupiter just as Jupiter prepares to turn direct. Mars squares Neptune, and Mercury retrograde conjoins Mars. Plus, I answer a listener question about where friends are found in the birth chart. The week begins with Venus in a trine aspect to Neptune on December 25th at 9.15 a.m. Pacific Time at 24 degrees, 9 minutes, Scorpio and Pisces. The Sabian symbol for Venus is 25 Scorpio and X-ray. And Neptune is on 25 Pisces, the purging of the priesthood. This combination of Venus and Neptune in a trine gives us the ability to love deeply and to love and accept others in our lives exactly for what they are. And with Venus in Scorpio on that X-ray degree, we are seeing those close to us exactly as they are, not always in the most flattering light. But as I always like to say with this combination, to see people as they really are and still be able to love them is the great gift of Venus with Neptune. It is an aspect of forgiveness, of overlooking foibles, and really opening our hearts in love. I think that Sabian symbol for Neptune, purging the priesthood, also talks of getting rid of what isn't at the highest level of purity in a relationship. Now, there's always a potential downside with Neptune. And when it's connecting with Venus, it could be that sometimes we offer our unconditional love and regard to people who really haven't earned it and might actually take advantage of our willingness to overlook certain problems and shortcomings. So this is a great aspect when we're talking about people in your life that you know well, that you have some kind of commitment to. And for many of us who are getting together with family, Sometimes there are some troubled relationships there, and this is an aspect that speaks of a loving and peaceful potential for celebrating this holiday. And now for the moon report for the week of December 25th, and it begins with the Cancer full moon on December 26th at 4.33 p.m. Pacific Time. That's at 4 degrees, 58 minutes, Cancer. This moon is on the Sabian symbol 5, Cancer, an automobile wrecked by a train, which sounds very ominous. The full moon is the phase that reveals what has been hidden or not really noticed or paid attention to. The Cancer full moon happens while the sun is in Capricorn, and Capricorn is a sign that can be quite preoccupied with material success and recognition. There's nothing wrong with that, per se, 
But what the Cancer full moon illuminates are the aspects of that that can be a little troublesome. If we're paying an excessive amount of attention to our career or our status and kind of overlooking the warm heart connections of home, this Cancer full moon is going to reveal that. This particular full moon point, however, is in a sextile aspect to Jupiter and is trine Saturn. These are supportive aspects for the full moon. The sextile to Jupiter in particular says there is something we can learn from this and we can expand our consciousness. The trine to Saturn illustrates something about this particular Sabian symbol that has to do with the necessity of aligning ourselves with the collective will, which is symbolized by that train, and accepting our karma, accepting that our past actions have consequences. In this case, have we exhibited that nurturing kindness of cancer or the protectionism that can come with cancer, that sort of clannish quality? The sun's degree is on five Capricorn, Indians rowing a canoe and dancing a war dance. The Sabian symbol expert James Burgess really had an interesting take on this, which is that it's about taking command because this situation demands it and because you are the right person for the job. And that if you have had that opportunity in the past, but you have abused that command or refused it, then this is a time when you reap that karma. So I think the main thing that I'm taking away from this full moon in Cancer is the importance of the balance between our family and our loved ones and our standing in the world about exhibiting the kindest qualities of Cancer in nurturing others. And also to not be afraid to go to war, as it were, if we need to, and particularly in protection of those whom we hold dear. This is the full moon in a lunar phase family cycle that began at the new moon on June 28, 2022, at 7 degrees, 22 minutes cancer. Think back about what was important to you at that time. Look where that degree, 7 degrees, 22 Cancer, what house it falls in in your chart, because that was the area of your life that was activated by that new moon and where something was beginning, whether or not you intended it or noticed it, very possibly of the nature of family or where we belong. Then the first quarter in this lunar phase cycle came nine months later at the first quarter moon on March 28, 2023. That would have been a time when some sort of action was called for related to what was initiated at that new moon. Now we're at the full moon. In that cycle, it's a little easier to see with the benefit of hindsight what it was that we were conceiving and initiating at that time and what is now necessary in order for us to bring that plan to completion. The last quarter in this lunar phase family cycle will come on September 24th, 2024. And that is when we can further refine and articulate this vision, share it with the world, 
and hopefully see the success that we intended. Then we'll have another nine months following that where we are finishing out that last quarter phase. Let's look at the void, of course, moon periods for this week. On December 25th, the moon in Gemini opposes Mercury in Sagittarius at 11.55 p.m. Pacific time. And this is a fairly long void, of course, period. It lasts for a little over seven hours. And then the moon enters Cancer on December 26th at 7.15 a.m. Whenever we see an opposition aspect, as we do at a full moon, it's about awareness. It's about recognition. The opportunity during this long void, of course, period, although it happens overnight, really, here in the U.S., is the contrast of articulating our feelings, which the moon in Gemini is actually fairly good at, versus that pure Mercury function of things are just in the mind, in the head, and don't necessarily make it down to the heart level of the moon. So we have a contrast. There's a little more affinity between the moon and Mercury at this opposition because Mercury is the ruler of Gemini. So they do have quite a lot in common. But this is a void, of course, moon period for letting go of old patterns, initiating new ones related to how our hearts collaborate with our minds. Mercury in Sagittarius takes a broad view of things, is quite philosophical, and puts things way up on a higher level. But what the moon is interested in is, how do I feel right now? How comfortable am I in my surroundings? On December 28th, the moon in Cancer opposes Pluto at 2.57 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just about an hour and a half and then enters Leo at 4.23 p.m. Again, an opposition aspect talks about awareness. And we realize, as the moon in Cancer is opposing Pluto, there are limits to the ways we can protect ourselves. And the moon in Cancer is quite protective. Pluto in Capricorn represents the outside world, which can be a little bit tough. So it is learning those limits and realizing there are only so many ways we can fully protect ourselves on an emotional level from hurt. On December 30th, the moon in Leo trines Mars at 9.18 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about an hour and a half and then enters Virgo on December 31st at 3.53 a.m. A trine aspect brings a reward. And in this case, the moon in Leo, its love and its joy can activate and motivate our Mars function of taking action, striving and working hard in a particular way. So this is a void, of course, period for contemplating. Are the things that you've been doing that you are engaged in, are they motivated from a place of creativity and love and joy, or just to get ahead. So this is a time to think about how you can more closely align love and joy and action and work. Mercury retrograde squares Neptune on December 26th at 11.42 p.m. Pacific time. 
So just about December 27th, it's at 25 degrees Sagittarius and Pisces. This is the second of three Mercury-Neptune squares. The first was on November 27th, and the next one will be on January 8th. So this is not just a standalone aspect, it's one of a series. When Mercury is square Neptune, it is about trying to get clarity. We often read really disturbing things about squares from anything to Neptune. I have some of these in my chart, including Mercury square Neptune, and I'm actually really grateful to have the square because Mercury and Neptune together gives us the ability to articulate what is hard to put into words, but you have to really work at it to get that clarity. Neptune leads us down a road where we think we're really getting it. We've really got the idea of something. And then suddenly our mind just checks out. (laughs) The fog rolls in and we have to work really hard to focus and to stay on track. But what I like about the square is we are motivated to try. It's not always easy, but it is possible. And it's what we are striving for with Mercury square Neptune. And while we're on the subject of Mercury, on December 27th at 4.31 p.m. Pacific time, Mercury retrograde makes a conjunction with Mars at 24 degrees, 21 minutes Sagittarius. The Sabian symbol for this degree is 25 Sagittarius, a chubby boy on a hobby horse. This is really about play. A hobby horse is a toy. And this young boy is practicing the idea of riding a horse or charging into battle, whatever it is that his childish mind brings forth. So this is about using our imagination to practice what it is that we want to eventually do or have. And this goes to the idea, I think, of intentions, affirmations, manifestation, about the power of what we imagine eventually coming true. And we probably all have stories that we can tell about this. Mercury is highly mental and Mars is quite physical. So it's not enough to just think about it and imagine it. We have to put some physical energy behind it as well. Just the act of writing something down is very powerful because it's physical and it's literal. And of course, if the thing that we want to manifest is physical in nature, this is the time to build physical strength and to actually walk it like we talk it instead of just imagining, I'd love to run a marathon. Well, you can't just run out one day and run a marathon, right? You have to go into training. And that is the nature of this Mercury conjunction with Mars, I think, to imagine the outcome that you're hoping for, but to put some actual action behind it as well. On December 27th at 7.28 a.m. Pacific Time, The sun in Capricorn trines Jupiter in Taurus. This is a combination that shows Capricorn's hard work, diligence, and determination paying off and gaining some kind of reward. Look at the houses of your chart, where 5 degrees, 36 minutes of Capricorn and Taurus fall, because something is happening in those two houses 
that are coming together to bring you some kind of benefit. And it might not be a huge one. You might have to get out your magnifying glass just a little bit to see it. But generally speaking, Jupiter is an amplifying force and the sun is the symbol of shining our light in the world, being who we really are. So to the extent that we're doing that, that we are using all of our creative gifts to build the kind of life we want, as the sun comes together with Jupiter, we get some kind of symbol that says, yes, you're on the right track. And what you're offering is really something that the world needs and wants. Hello, my pod pals. April here. Hey, it's eclipse season. Should you be terrified? I mean, the internet, whatever you think so. I don't believe in using astrology to feed fear. But I do believe in learning from past experience. My eclipse report, followed by a moon shadow, helps you better understand your past and its influence on the present. The report includes three years of eclipses, interpreting their house placements in your chart, aspects to natal planets, and the previous years when there were eclipses at the same points in your chart. Order your report at eclipseastrology.com. And as my bonus gift to you, you'll receive my e-booklet, Five Steps to Fear-Free Eclipses. Order today, eclipseastrology.com. That's eclipseastrology.com. Over and out. On December 28th at 2.15 p.m. Pacific Time, Mars squares Neptune at 25 degrees and 2 minutes Sagittarius and Pisces. The Sabian symbol for Mars is 26 Sagittarius, a flag bearer, and Neptune is on 26 Pisces, a new moon that divides influences. I actually find Dane Rudyard's interpretation of that symbol a little more easy to get my mind around. Watching the thin moon crescent at sunset, people realize that it's time for their different projects. So Mars is on the symbol that says stand up for your morals, your principles, and your beliefs. But Neptune's symbol says, hey, we all have our own thing to do. And although we want to stand up for what's important to us, we have to accept that others have their own ideas, their own beliefs. We have to resist the impulse to convince others against their will. And that is something we have to remember throughout Mars's transit of Sagittarius. Mars is a planet of force and determination. Sagittarius is about beliefs. So if we're not careful, We can get a little carried away and try to impose our beliefs on others. There's nothing wrong with trying to be persuasive, but persuasion is quite different than just saying, I believe this and you should believe this as well. Sometimes with Mars and Neptune together, the harder we push, the more we get sucked under. It's like quicksand. And a thing I remember reading about quicksand long ago is that the way to survive quicksand if you fall in is to not struggle, is to just gently move your arms a little bit and you will move up to the surface. So think how different that is from the way Mars normally works, which is full steam ahead, 
thrashing around. On December 28th at 10 p.m. Pacific time, Venus sextiles Pluto at 29 degrees 16 minutes Scorpio and Capricorn. Venus is on the Sabian symbol 30 Scorpio, a Halloween jester. And Pluto is on 30 Capricorn, a secret business conference. Venus's degree and symbol remind me of how Halloween gives cover and societal permission to play pranks on people, and also to pretend that we're something else. I think this combination and the symbol shows us that one effective way to engage with those who are in control is to be the jester. The jester was the one who could make the king laugh and could tell him the things he did not want to hear. That's what we can do if we're an effective jester. Venus is also about what's beautiful and pleasurable and how that helps us get what we want from the world. So it isn't always effective to just run up against forces we can't control, those who are in power. Sometimes we have to think of a way to seduce them to our way of thinking and to giving us what we want. Venus enters Sagittarius on December 29th at 12.23 p.m. Pacific Time. It will be in that sign through January 23rd. Venus in Sagittarius feels that love is freedom and freedom is love. Venus does talk about the things in the physical world that delight us. Sagittarius is a sign that's closely akin to the outside world. Venus in Sagittarius might be someone who loves to be outside hiking or exploring, who loves to travel, who loves to acquire things for their home that come from other places or remind them of different cultures, maybe things they've picked up in their travels. For our closest relationships, this is usually a transit that brings up issues of freedom as well as the ways we and our partners see the world and how compatible that is. Venus, in a sign like Cancer or Taurus, loves to be at home just the two of you very cozy watching some Netflix. But Venus in Sagittarius feels loved and feels connected to somebody else when you're out enjoying the world and having an adventure. So look at ways through January 23rd that you can explore a little bit and take pleasure from the kinds of places and foods and experiences and people that you don't normally spend time with. Finally, on December 30th at 6.40 p.m. Pacific Time, 
Jupiter stations direct. It's been retrograde since September 4th, when it turned retrograde at 15 degrees, 34 minutes, Taurus. And the Sabian symbol for that degree is an old man attempting vainly to reveal the mysteries. While Jupiter is retrograde, we're asked to look within for our concept of what the meaning of life is, how the world works, the kinds of adventures that call to us as distinct from the ones that society tells us we should crave. Now it's turning direct on Sabian symbol 6 Taurus, a bridge being built across a gorge. We've turned from being the old man or old woman inside ourselves, trying to show us the mysteries of life for ourselves. And now, as it goes direct, there's a bridge being built between us and the way other people look at the world and think. A danger always with Jupiter is assuming we know everything and refusing to listen to what others believe or think. So as Jupiter turns direct, we will find more opportunities to get together with others and share our ideas. And that's the key word, share. Jupiter is akin to Sagittarius. And with both of these symbols, we have the tendency to get a little emphatic with others about sharing what we believe and not always being willing to be excited by other ideas. Jupiter will be direct all the way through October 8th of 2024 when it will turn retrograde. In this week's listener question, listener Betsy asks, I know the 11th house is friends, groups, and community, chosen family. But is it there that I would find my best friend, someone who's like a sister to me? Would you also look at the seventh or third house? Well, Betsy, thank you for this question. It's actually a pretty easy one, but it gives me an opportunity to provide some background on friendship and the houses of the chart. Now, the 11th house of the chart is often called the house of friends. And we can think of the 11th house as signifying birds of a feather with whom we flock together, (laughs) social connections that are based on common interests. Let's say you're interested in astrology and you attend an astrology conference. You will find yourself surrounded by 11th house friends by nature of your shared interest in astrology. You could strike up a conversation with virtually anyone you met and have plenty to talk about comparing notes on your birth charts. Now, does that make you friends? It does, inasmuch as one way of thinking of friends is that they are people with whom we share interests or concerns. But let's say you belong to a local astrology group, and over time you meet the same person again and again at meetings, and you find you really enjoy talking with each other, about all kinds of things, not just astrology. So you decide to meet for coffee and then maybe for lunch. And before you know it, you're texting each other memes and you're sending each other birthday cards. You go to the movies together. You get together with each other's friends. At this point, I would say you're still in the 11th house 
friend zone. But let's then imagine that over time, this friend proves to be really invaluable. You confide in one another. You support each other through tragedies or setbacks. You can't imagine your life without them. And what you've got there is an actual one-on-one connection type of friend. And those friends really belong in the seventh house, the house of significant others. Some might debate how close you need to be with someone for them to be promoted to your seventh house. But I definitely think that someone you call your best friend is a seventh house person in your life. I can see why you thought the third house might be a good candidate, Betsy, because you said you consider her like a sister, but she is not actually a sister. And if we want to be sticklers, we'll reserve that house for actual siblings with whom we share a parent or two, because that is a slightly different kind of relationship, not least of which is that the friend is chosen and a sibling is imposed on us by an accident of birth or, in the case of a step-sibling, marriage. But once you say best friend, we are definitely in seventh house territory. These are the people who see us most clearly, who reflect ourselves back to us, who know our weaknesses as well as our strengths. And that is also why the seventh house rules open enemies as well as spouses, partners, and best friends. There are all kinds of places in the birth chart where we find relationships, but that close, treasured friend of the heart absolutely belongs in the seventh house. Betsy, thank you so much for that question, and I hope that that was helpful. And if you, invisible friend, have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, just leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast, or email me at april at bigskyastrology.com and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. That is everything on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. Leave a rating or a review and maybe help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thank you very much to everyone who's shown support for the podcast in 2023. On each episode, I'm thanking some of my financial donors by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Cypress Hippolyte and my good friend Notori Moore, who has contributed to the Podathon every single year. Cypress and Notori. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you'd like to support the show and receive access 
to my bonus episodes at the equinoxes and solstices, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and make a contribution of $10 or more. You can make a one-time donation in any amount or become an ongoing monthly contributor. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.